0: I'm your host, Alexander Hefner, and you're listening to the audio podcast of The Open Mind. I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Jacob Mchimgama. He is CEO of Justitia and author of the new book, Free Speech a history from Socrates to social media. Welcome, Jacob. Thank you so much. You are based in in Copenhagen and you are in closer proximity to this new axis of totalitarianism. Um, It doesn't really matter. In what direction you look, right? You could be looking at the 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 democratic standoff in in Pakistan right now. You could be looking at the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine. But there seems to be an increasing destabilization of democratic order. And I just wanted to give you an opportunity from the outset to reflect on that.
1: Yeah, I think uh, there's a what I would call a, a free speech recession, you can see it both in in the data. So if you're a, a geek, you can look at, at at all the data sets, they, they point very clearly uh, to the effect that, you know, freedom of the media, freedom of expression is in decline across the board. And of course, you can find any number of anecdotal evidence from, you know, people being uh, arrested for protesting the war in Russia, to uh foreign media being uh, being thrown out um unfortunately what you know it's one thing that authoritarian states crack down on free speech that's that's worrying in and of itself but it's not particularly surprising that has been the 101 for authoritarian states uh, since uh, f- for 2500 years throughout the history of free speech what i am particularly worried about in this moment is that liberal uh, democracies open democracies seem also to have lost sort of their faith in free speech and have increasingly come to see free speech in the digital age uh, as being weaponized against democracy itself uh, and so here in Europe you see uh, an increasing tendency for for democracies to legislate uh, restrictions on free speech and in the US where the first amendment provides very strong constitutional protection of free speech you see the culture of free speech uh, being attacked from both the, the the left and the right just before we dive into
0: the question of speech under assault or scrutiny in democratized societies or semi-democratized societies. I just want to follow up with you on the, the question of autocratic repressive regimes where free speech is uh, not possible um, or certainly not possible in the same platforms or mediums it is uh, where you are in Copenhagen, in the UK, elsewhere in Europe or in the US. I mean, More than the the question that you raise about free speech being diminished in democratic, under democratic rule, Mm -hmm. are you more concerned just as a broader framework of the fact that there is less and less actual democratic rule around the world?
1: Yeah, I, I I think those two trends, unfortunately, go hand in hand because, um, but but you're absolutely right in, in, in pointing at the fact, you know, if we go back 10 or 15 years, everyone was very optimistic about the internet changing the rules of the game. So good old fashioned censorship would be sort of consigned to the ash heap of history and, and totalitarian authoritarian states would no longer be able to control the public sphere. Uh, but look at China. China now has created perhaps the most efficient censorship machine uh, in the world, and and increasingly authoritarian states have learned to sort of uh, reverse engineer the Internet and social media to serve their interests. And, and you know, we, if you're a dissident or a, a journalist in an authoritarian state, you need the Internet, you need social media to circumvent official propaganda and, and censorship. Uh, and unfortunately, um, authoritarians have learned to, to rig uh, the game. You can even see, you know, today we're, we're speaking, uh, and uh, yesterday, um, Viktor Orban won uh, the, the election uh, in, in Hungary, and he is someone who has, um, who, who has very much controlled the public sphere and, and limited the ability of independent journalists to, to operate there. Uh, so, so that's a very worrying trend. Of course, I do want to talk to you about
0: speech and you're an evangelist for free speech. Um, I want to talk to you about it from the context of where you are today in in, um, Copenhagen and also from the, the EU and U.S. perspective. But I can't help but just hearing the synopsis of our conversation so far and and think back on this projection or at least this this fantasy about the end of history. (laughs) <laughs> um, and of course, Fukuyama says he's misunderstood, uh, misinterpreted, and that may well be, and he's certainly, you know, s- still very clear eyed about where we are now. But it, things t- seem to be, you know, maybe a, a, as a result of the pandemic exacerbating trends, but f- whether it's it's Hungary, you mentioned China, um, there, there doesn't really, in, in certain countries like, like China and Russia, there's not even really the vehicle for that expression um, to take place. There aren't real political opponents. There aren't, you know, newspapers that are doing muckraking and, and challenging authorities in power. And then in places like Pakistan or India, and, and now you mentioned Hungary as well, um, that the, there are, you know, there, it's very, very dangerous to, to be that gadfly uh, or, or to, to challenge the party line. Um, and at least in the countries that I just mentioned, there was an aspirational hope. And you as a, a defender of freedom and a human rights lawyer understand this. There was an aspiration in every single one of the countries I just mentioned 10 years ago, that things would be different and different as in better, not worse,
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, But maybe we also uh, in the West, perhaps uh, we were too optimistic because it turns out, and, you know, we can even see that in in, in Western uh, societies that, uh, you know, freedom um, does not, is not enough to satisfy the the human psychology. We also, uh, you know, have an urge to belong to identity. And sometimes um, those uh, th- those values clash, uh, and unfortunately, uh, at least from sort of the the liberal uh, point of view, um, th- these these values can clash uh, violently, and and, uh, and and sometimes the aspiration of freedom uh, is then relegated beyond uh, the needs for you know security, identity, uh, belonging, and and that is something that we see in in a number of these countries. You, you, you know, you mentioned India, India of course. Of course, the world's largest democracy, but increasingly becoming a very illiberal democracy, where if you uh, have uh, opinions uh, that differ from from the ruling party, then you you're in danger. If you're a religious uh, minority, then uh, you you better watch what you say, uh, and and that unfortunately is, is 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 a global trend. I think it's important to make
0: the distinction now that we've covered this ground that that's not what's happening in the U.S. in terms of um, the the chilling effect of autocracy, um, and and autocracy sort of being what is animating the free speech censorship regulation debate. It's not it's it's not that um, particular parties um, or opposition to the government are are being um, less receptive. Uh, in in our or less well received, you know, if you're a Labour Party member in the UK and you want to attack the Prime Minister on policy grounds or even not policy grounds, you still can do that. In in you know where you are in Denmark, you can do that with the leadership. In the US, when Trump was president, you could do that. When Biden is president today, you can do that. So there, there's a specific kind of concern you have about illiberal. Uh, attitudes towards speech, but but it, the, how is it manifesting? Because it's not manifesting in the in the sort of you thou not speak you know uh, um,
1: unfavorably about the presiding government. No, you're absolutely right. In many ways, I think the the constitutional legal protection afforded to free speech under the First Amendment in the U.S. is probably the strongest protection of free speech ever in the history of, of humankind. You know, Go back 100 years in the US, um, a, a bit more than 100 years, and you could be thrown in prison for 10 or 20 years for opposing uh, American involvement in World War One uh, in, 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 in pamphlets. That would certainly not fly today um, uh, under the current uh, interpretation uh, of the First Amendment. So you don't have to worry. Uh, uh, about saying uh, things about uh, the president what i see um, mostly under pressure in the in the us is what i would call the culture of free speech and um, you know from looking at the history of free speech it's it, you know my thesis is that ultimately the culture of free speech is more important than what the law says so you you know the first amendment was ratified in 1791 but if you, you know, in 1798, you could actually go to jail if you criticized President John Adams. Um, right. uh, the First Amendment has not changed, but today you can say just about anything about President Biden and uh, and, 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 and no one will, will throw you in jail or, or even dream of, of prosecuting you. But instead, <clears throat> there's, um, there's intolerance, I would say, on, on both sides that have to do with, with identity. So there's one mostly on the, uh, on the left, that has a concern uh, about um, minorities, for instance, who, who view free speech and the exercise thereof by bigots as a, as a threat to, uh, to, to minorities, whereas the history of the US, in my opinion at least, shows that it's very much the other way around. Free speech has been a very, very potent weapon for all kinds of, of oppressed groups and minorities not least you know African Americans uh, when it came to abolitionism when it came to the civil rights movement so one of the reasons why the first amendment uh, enjoys such a strong protection is because the, the the civil rights movement won a number of landmark uh, first amendment cases a new york times versus solomon which is one of the, uh, the landmark cases that provides very, very strong protection for for the media for instance when writing uh, critical stuff about public officials is, is, is a is a is a civil rights um, uh, civil rights era uh, case, uh, and on the other hand, you see this uh, tsunami of laws from in, in, in Republican-dominated states aimed at so-called critical race theory, uh, which is uh, I would say a conservative attempt to establish some kind of orthodoxy in the sphere of uh, of education, and not 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 only sort of k to 12 but even uh, in colleges and 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 uh, and universities right. and i think that the, the problem with this is that it's eating away at the core of free speech from from each side so hollowing out um, the the tolerance the civic tolerance which ultimately is the, the the necessary precondition for a strong commitment to free speech i'm so glad you pointed out that
0: in the era of adams and jefferson you know, the alien and sedition acts actually operated in that, in that fashion that for the first decade uh, and maybe more of America, um, there were, you know, actually, there was deployment of the law in that fashion um, to, to penalize and bar speech from political opponents, but it, it, it gradually simmered to an era of, of, you know, debate um, um, and periodicals that uh, we're going to be sharing all perspectives and no one was going to be jailed as a consequence of of those perspectives. You, you mentioned um, th- this question of, of speech now as a kind of cultural phenomenon and how we think about it and whether we are um, at all shrinking the population of speech. Um, I said I wanted to ask you about how it is in Denmark and broadly mm-hmm. in Europe. We know there are more restrictions on curbing dis and misinformation in, in Europe, but this whole mantra of Americana born out of our experience of the First Amendment that sunlight is the best disinfectant. Um, how do you think of that from the perspective of, of Denmark uh, and Europe and then from the perspective of America? Is, is, that,
1: is that still the way uh, we should be thinking of speech? Well, you know, uh, free speech, uh, I think all great thinkers about uh, of free speech philosophers and, 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 and legal scholars uh, have uh, acknowledged that free speech comes with harms and costs. So there are consequences of speech. Obviously, speech, you know, can lead to, uh, to, 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 to bad things. You know, it would be impossible to organize a genocide without, without uh, speech. However, uh, my reading of history is very much that when uh, that it does not necessarily follow that because free speech can sometimes lead to bad consequences, restrictions and censorship is an efficient uh, remedy, so very often the cure is worse than the disease, and we also undermine the the, the degree to which speech can actually be used. To counter bad phenomenon. But but you know, it's a fantasy to think that there won't be bad consequences from speech. January 6th, the attack on the Capitol would not have happened without speech and, and social media. I, I think, you know, I think that's that that's a given. There were things that, you know, the, the FBI and, and others could have done to beef up security if they had taken more seriously what was written by by a lot of people on, on social media. But obviously speech was a helped motivate th- those people who, who attacked uh and 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 try to impede the peaceful transfer of power uh, in uh, in America uh, so so we have to be cleared about uh, about about that but then if you look at history so one of the reasons why in Europe we tend to regulate extreme speech such as hate speech um much more vigorously than in America is because we uh, have agreed that uh, um, you know the Holocaust and the rise of Nazism um, happened partly because uh, the Nazis were allowed to contest democratic uh, elections and you know publish newspapers. But what I show in the book is that you know in the Weimar Republic uh, in, in Germany, actually, speech uh, of, of of Nazis and others was was heavily uh, circumscribed. So you you and and the Nazis used the censorship and restrictions of their speech very cleverly to sort of uh, you know what we today call the Streisand effect—sort of painting themselves as martyrs and 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 to create more publicity uh, around themselves. So someone like Joseph Goebbels, who later became propaganda minister, started a, a Nazi newspaper, and he bragged about how often he was administratively banned from from publishing this newspaper. And ultimately, the Nazis used the The emergency measures of the Weimar constitution that uh, that that allowed uh, the President to suspend free speech and other civil liberties they used that those provisions that were supposed to protect democracy they used those to abolish democracy and and within a very short period create a, a totalitarian one party state so i 'm very skeptical of, you know, even though I acknowledge that free speech comes with harms and costs, and no one can guarantee that the, the benefits will always. Be, be outweigh the harms, I, I tend to think that they actually do it from a, from a democratic uh, point of view. That is cogent and clear-eyed. And, you know,
0: we, we just can't deny the fact that uh, whether it's the insurrection or genocide, you know, it, it, it comes about as a result of, of some organizing of speech. And in the case of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, it came about about through Orwellian speech, through through a revisionist understanding of, of of history. I mean, revisionist is is putting it too politely. I mean, the, the, the notion of the the Jewish Ukrainian president uh, representing um, anti-Semitism or the Nazism, and and so I, you know. I, how do you grapple with that when, when um, it's not even hate speech in its kind of vindictive or ad hominem form, but it's just a completely fictionalized version
1: of, of history? Yeah, but, but look, you know, that kind of speech, which, which has seems to have hypnotized uh, 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 way too many Russians, could only have that effect in a country like Russia— which is dominated by by propaganda and censorship, uh, you know. So, you know, I don't want to take the comparison between Trump and and, and Putin too far because you know, because th- th- that would that would not be serious. But you know, Trump during his presidency. Often fantasized about cracking down on the enemies of the people that he uh, described, independent media. You know, locking up his opponents. He was powerless to do so. Why was he powerless to do so? Because you have a First Amendment. Because you have independent institutions. You had a free media which could, you know, debunk some of his, uh, you know, some of the fantasies that that that, that, that and, and and you know policies. That, and his twitter account in russia you don't have that same th- those same uh, mechanisms and so putin has been in power for 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 20 years or so uh, all the while journalists have been killed journalists have been uh, imprisoned uh, laws have been uh, adopted uh, against extremism that uh, you know have have shut down human rights organisations, um, uh, control of, uh, of 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 social media platforms, and someone like Alexei Navalny, who was maybe the most serious, um, the, the most serious opposition figure, you know, was uh, first poisoned, and then when he, you know, very bravely returned to Russia, thrown in jail, and he's been given a, a couple of sentences on top of that. So, so that kind of propaganda, which stirs a nation into sort of revengeist, authoritarian, um, 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 aggressive invasion, I think is only possible in a country where you don't have free speech, where you have that vicious cocktail of official propaganda and very heavy handed uh, censorship that you unfortunately have in Russia. I think it would be very, very difficult uh, to have the same dynamic play out in a liberal democracy. I wouldn't say it's and, impossible.
0: And, but you're saying it's becoming increasingly possible with, for example, on the right, Republicans who attack critical race theory, but it's really a Trojan horse for eliminating the teaching of, of racism or white supremacy, right? I mean, that that is, that is a concern. That it, it's, That is, that that is it's, a
1: concern, but the good thing is that... Uh, uh, you know, I'm not a, an expert on the First Amendment, uh, but it would seem to me at least that the laws that target, that try to impose some kind of orthodoxy on, on, on colleges and, uh, and, and, and universities and public institutions would run afoul of the First Amendment. Well, but then it's happening. Also, it, it is yeah. happening, though. It's happening. Sure, the sure, it's happening, but I would imagine that, you know, ACLU and other organizations would be challenging those those bills uh, in, in in court. But then you also have um, on uh, from the other side you have uh, an uh, an attempt to sort of police speech in cultural institutions uh, not through laws but by trying to deplatform uh, people tr- saying you know uh, people should not have a right to speak at, at universities uh, university professors should be fired if they wrote something offensive uh, in a tweet or um, you know um, the New York Times should not uh, run a um, a, a, a provocative op by a by a Republican uh, prominent Republican uh, politician, um, and that in, in that that also eats away at the culture of of uh, of, uh, of free speech. Also, because you know the the, the definition of what is offensive or, or racist and bigoted seems to be undergoing sort of scope creep, uh, and then it becomes you know wh- where are the red lines, and that in itself can help internalize internalized uh, self censorship in the very institutions that are crucial for that pluralism for that uh, f- for giving room to 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 that tolerance and, and pluralism and and, uh, and 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 criticism that that is the lifeblood of, of democracy so so that's doesn't what I it think make it, it,
0: in, in the minutes we have left and we only have a few minutes but it, doesn't it make a difference who's doing the regulating whether it's the state or a private institution because you know we, I was mentioning University of Florida. And of course, Florida public schools that are now subject to um, the new law about, uh, you know, not mentioning uh, homosexuality or teaching about um, gay people, basically uh, up to a certain point. But, you know, where do you draw the line, having studied this history and just chronicled it from Socrates to the (laughs) present? Because we we. live in, like you said, in a culture where Georgetown University can make its own decision about, you know, someone had just hired who remarked, you know, that that there aren't many qualified Black women jurists for the Supreme Court, right? I and mean, he said, basically, you know, how, how could you choose only from this group that's less qualified? Yeah. And so like Georgetown is undergoing its own review process. And I wonder in your estimation, if that's different from the state of Florida, you know, taking
1: action. Yeah, yeah of course it, it's different. But what I argue is that even though one uh, can run into problems under the First Amendment and might run into legal problems, the culture of free speech is also extremely important. So if you read, you know, some of the prophets of free speech, you know, like John Stuart Mill, he worried as much about the tyranny of the majority uh, as he did uh, about the tyranny of the magistrate. If you read Alexis de Tocqueville uh, on his Democracy in America, he says, you know, uh, Americans could never dream about adopting uh, laws that restricted free speech. Not exactly true, but more or less right. But he said, you know, if you cross the lines of the majority, then you'll be subject to persecution. And of course, we have, you know, if you go back in time, you will see a lot of people also, you know, minorities, you know, if you were, if you were someone like Ida B. Wells, who documented Lynchings in in the South. Uh, it would not necessarily be the state that ca- that came after you, but it would be you know white newspapers uh, that uh, incited to uh, persecution or or, uh, or or violence to or, or or just you know made you uh, infamous uh, or someone like Frederick Douglass who I, I, who was heckled uh, you know at an abolitionist meeting. So so that history in itself. Yes. Uh, also undermines the, the, the culture of free speech. We have 60
0: seconds, but the question for you is, what about that cancel culture question in Europe and specifically where you are in, in Copenhagen? I mean, that question of, yeah. of a, a tyranny, I wouldn't, a tyranny of the majority, or in some cases, a tyranny that wants to impose a kind of ethical barometer or standard uh, in conversation.
1: I think, ironically, you know, our legal restrictions on free speech are more restrictive than in the U.S., but I would say that when it comes to discussions at university and, and in the media, our cultural institutions, we have uh, more room for, for speech that would be off limits uh, in the U.S. Uh, due to, uh, to, to for, for cultural reasons. And how would you describe that kind of speech? Well, you know, I'd like to take the best from Denmark. I'd like to have our sort of culture of free speech and, and the American First Amendment. Then, you know, we'd be set and everything would be uh, rosy. Rosy. Well, that's a more positive way to conclude
0: our conversation, Jacob. Um, I really do appreciate your, your insight on free speech and encourage our viewers and our listeners to check out your new book, Free speech, a history from Socrates to social media. Really appreciate your time today,
1: Jacob. Thank you, Alex. It was a pleasure.
0: Please visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash Open Mind to view this program online or to access over 1,500 other interviews. And do check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Open Mind TV for updates on future programming. Please visit the Open Mind website at 13.org openmind to view this program online or to access over 1,500 other interviews. And do check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Open Mind TV for updates on future programming.